For the adults here, now would be the time to pull out the, the insert from the, the worship bulletin with the Jesus Son of God logo on the top. As some of you know, I work with a few other pastors in the sermons, the messages uh, week to week. We take turns organizing a specific series, and Jesus Son of God is a series that I put together. I pick the text for the series. However, when it came to the message titles, we collaborated with what each title should be. And we decided that that each title would be like none other. And, And I have to say that today's title received the most amount of discussion, satisfaction like none other. Pastor Jeff Gunn, who is about 10 years older than I am, he said, you know, I'm not sure about the title. When I hear satisfaction like none other, I think of the cigarette ads when I was a boy. And nothing's more satisfying than than puffing on a cigarette and blowing smoke at somebody. Uh, Phil Bischoff, who's in his 30s, he said, ah, you know, satisfaction like none other. I think there might be a, a sexual connotation to that. And Dan Salofra and, my, and myself, we were the same age. And we both thought of the same thing that uh, Mick Jagger, right, the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction, but I try and I try and I try. Now, satisfaction, the word itself, the definition is this. Fulfillment of one's wishes, expectations, or one's needs. Fact is, God promises to give to us our needs. Not necessarily our wants, but our needs. And there are spiritual needs that we all have. And it is God's desire to fill those needs completely. We're going to see today that by nature, we seek things outside ourselves for satisfaction. And some people do do turn to tobacco or drugs or alcohol. Others turn to other things, originally gifts from God, like sex. But whatever we turn to outside of true satisfaction that we find in Christ, it will never last. For Jesus gives us pure, true satisfaction like none other. Verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, he was, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So again, early on in Jesus' ministry, he's called his disciples. And, and he travels quite a bit this first year to, to Galilee area where he grew up back down to the Jerusalem area where he was baptized by John, back and forth. Uh, We had the wedding in Cana, northern Israel, last week. They went back south, and and they're baptizing. But they decided again to go to Galilee. What you need to know is that most Jews did not go through Samaria. They avoided that area, even though it was by far the, the, the easiest way and the closest way to go from Jerusalem to Galilee was through Samaria. But Jews avoided that. They went miles out of their way to go around Samaria. Why? And the answer is they hated the Samaritans. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. 
So I want to tell you a little bit first about the, the Samaritans. Who were they? And, and why were they hated? Well, the, the, the nation of Israel, for the most part, was united for several hundred years. When the, when the children of Israel entered the promised land, they were united. You know, the period of the judges, you know, there always were problems, but they were still one people. The first three kings, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, again, problems, but they were one nation. But after King Solomon, the nation of Israel became divided. There was a, a horrible civil war. And, and the northern tribes split off from the southern two tribes. Here's a map. The, the northern tribes, the ten tribes, refer to themselves as Israel. And, and, and the bottom two tribes were Judah and Benjamin. They combined. Uh, the, the bottom two tribes, it was a larger geographical area. They maintained Jerusalem as the place of worship where the temple was located. The northern tribes, though, they decided to make a different place of worship, Mount Gerizim, and a different capital. But they were to divide a kingdom for, for a long time. And the, the northern tribes, the leaders, were all corrupt. All the kings were corrupted. God was very patient. He still loved the, the northern tribes as much as the southern tribes. He sent prophets. He sent the word of God to them. But the people as a whole were rejecting God, left and right. Eventually, God's patience ran out. And he allowed the Assyrians, and Assyria was the superpower of its day, the Assyrians took all the northern tribes captive, except for the very weak and the very poor. And that's how the Assyrians did things. They, they conquered things, just like Rome. And when they would, they would conquer a people, they would, they would displace them to a different location. And so what happened in Samaria was this. Only the very poor were left, and Assyria then replaced the Israelites with other people, foreigners, to live in the land. They intermarried with the Jews who remained, and they became known as the Samaritans. Now, now the Samaritans also would be a mixed race of, of, of people, but it was also a mixed religion. So, for instance, they kept the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. They held on to that. However, they, they tried to combine that with Canaanite religion, false gods, false worship, and then they blended the two together. So their understanding of God was, was, was not correct. They had many teachings that were completely false. So in Jesus' day, the Jews of the southern tribes, they avoided Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. But not so much Jesus. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, here's a picture of the place that Jesus goes to. It's called Sychar. Interesting, uh, this looks very much like what I'm looking at right now, South Mountain. It's about the same climate. It's very dry. In fact, there's a place in South Mountain not that far away if you walk, you can see the South Mountains, not just one ridge. There's several ridges. There are valleys in between. And, and Sychar was like that, where you have Mount Gerizim, the place of worship for the northern tribes, and, and another mountain, and there's a valley in between. And what was there was this place called Sychar. Verses 5 through 7. So he came to a town in Samaria, Jesus, called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So why did Jesus have to go through Samaria, if most Jews would avoid that that area? We're going to see that the, the primary reason is a person that he knew that he was going to meet, who at that time did not yet believe in him, but would soon believe in him, and she would become like an evangelist or a missionary for Samaria. I think there's a secondary reason, though, that Jesus went to Sychar. Jacob's well was there. Now, now keep in mind who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's fully divine. He's the Son of Man. He's fully human. And Jacob was his ancestor, according to his human line. Yet, Jacob's God is Jesus. So if you were the Son of God coming to the flesh, wouldn't you want to go to the stomping grounds of your ancestors, like Jacob, Israel? I would. And he shows up that day to the very place where where Jacob discovered a well. And we're told in our text, Jesus was tired and thirsty from the journey. He's tired and thirsty. He's fully human, just as we are. He was subject to weariness. He was subject to being thirsty. And you can imagine, again, hiking South Mountain. Uh, we, we get thirsty. Heidi and I, we carry these things called camel packs, so we can drink water as we hike. But if you're hiking a long ways, you can only go so long without water. Now, thirst is a God-given thing. Our bodies are made up of 65% water. 65%. And that percentage is very important. You don't want to have necessarily more than 65%. You don't want less. In fact, both are dangerous. I read this week that if any one of us drank at one time two gallons of water, do you realize that could kill you if you drink too much water? But the opposite is also true. If we don't have enough water, we become dehydrated. And likewise, uh, that's very bad for our health and and Uh, could kill us. God designed our bodies. Our brain is constantly monitoring sodium and salt in our blood. And if the concentrations of sodium and salt become too great because they're not diluted with water, it creates hunger. And as you know, hunger is a pain. It's a, a gnawing pain that does not go away, that only gets worse unless it's satisfied. And unlike food, when we're hungry for food, we can eat and we can overeat. Not so with thirst. When we are thirsty, and if you go too long, that hunger turns into agony. But with thirst, when, once you're finally quenched, and nothing quenches physical thirst like clean, clear, cold water. And your body very quickly, once you're filled up, that pain goes away. Your body doesn't need any more water. It is completely satisfies. So again, Jesus, weary from the journey, he's going to use his physical thirst to lead her to recognize a much deeper thirst, a spiritual thirst inside of her. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Can't you feel the tension here? Right? So he's not used to this. Uh, Jesus, perhaps from his voice or his looks, was obviously Jewish. She was a Samaritan. And she wasn't used to Jews, especially Jewish men, talking to her. How can you even talk to me? You guys don't even want to associate with us. Jesus continued the conversation. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I love this. Jesus is using physical water, his physical thirst, as a metaphor for another very real thirst and pain deep inside of her that was not quenched. She was not satisfied. And Jesus is basically saying, I have something for you spiritually that is as basic and necessary as water is for you physically. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You know, Jesus, again, knew that deep thirst inside of her spiritually. And this leads us to the very first point, because deep down, by nature, we have the same thirst. So here's the first fill-in. It is this. We have an emptiness inside that makes us spiritually thirsty. We have an emptiness inside, by nature, that makes us spiritually thirsty. St. Augustine, who lived in the 400s, uh, put it this way. It's a prayer that he wrote to God. It's recorded. St. Augustine uh, prayed, You, God, have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And even though he's using restlessness, it's the same thing, right? There's a void inside of us, an emptiness, that cannot be satisfied apart from God. Continuing on, she wants this living water that Jesus has described to her. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Two things really surprised me here about Jesus. One thing is just how tactful he is, right? He is very tactful. He's very gentle with her. Uh, Jesus has gone out of his way to cross several barriers, He has crossed a religious barrier, he has crossed a gender barrier, he has crossed crossed a geographical barrier, and he has crossed a moral barrier. By the way, Jesus will do the same 
for us and for any person in this world. Jesus will cross any barrier to meet us where we're at. And that's great. You look at the love of Jesus, again, uh, he is the Savior of the world, and he is not afraid to talk to her. At the same time, he's not afraid to confront her. Why would, why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus say, uh, you are, go, go get your husband, knowing full well that she did not have a husband, since so she had five husbands, five failed marriages, and the man that she was sleeping with was not her husband? Why would he do this? Was his end goal to shame her? If it was, why didn't he just cut to the chase to begin with? And the answer is no. Jesus' end goal was not to shame her. The end goal was for Jesus to point out her real problem, her deep underlying problem. And it had to do with spiritual thirst and spiritual satisfaction. You know, the prophet Jeremiah, he, he talks about this as well. A problem that we all have because of our fallen state. Jeremiah 2, verse 13, you have it printed out there for you. So it's God speaking through Jeremiah and says it this way. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And secondly, have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God's the source of living water, right? And, and, and God says to Jeremiah, two sins. The first one, you've forsaken me, God, source of living water. And secondly, you, you've dug your own dry cisterns, cisterns that will not hold water for very long. Think about that. That's very descriptive, isn't it? So God, the source of living water, everything we need for eternity, for spiritual life, and by nature, we forsake God. We're like, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to walk away from God. I want to live how I want to live. But there's an emptiness inside that can only be satisfied through God. So we try to come up with solutions, as the Samaritan woman did. And we create our own cisterns. Now, if we poured water in that cistern, say it holds 50 gallons, if we could pour 50 gallons in at one time, what would happen very quickly? would leak out, right? And if there was any water that would remain, would it remain in that broken cistern very long? No, it would not. Satisfaction that we try to find in our lives apart from God uh, will not last very long at all. It leads us to the second fill-in. The reason for my thirst is that I have forsaken God and built my own broken cisterns. The reason for my thirst is that I have forsaken God and built my own broken cisterns. And the, just think about that. And, and we have a sin nature, all of us do, right? And, and through having faith in God, I can still be tempted to turn away from him, forsake him, and look at other things. And I might, I might say to myself, if I, if I just had the right career, then I'd be satisfied. Or a person might say, if I just met the right man, I'd be satisfied. Or if, if I met the right woman. Or if I made a contribution to my field, then I'd be satisfied. Or if I made X amount of money, once I make that money, I'll be satisfied. 
By the way, do we not turn to things outside of ourselves for satisfaction? These are outside things. I don't have it now, but if I had this. And again, the prophet Jeremiah says, if you're looking for lasting satisfaction apart from God, it's a broken cistern. It's not going to last very long at all. And that's our next fill-in. If I look for satisfaction for spiritual thirst outside of God, it will never last. If I look for satisfaction for spiritual thirst outside of God, it will never last. So Jesus, in a very brilliant way, he has identified the underlying problem that she had. What was her broken cistern? And the answer is this. It's as if Jesus is saying to her, woman at the well, you have forsaken God, and you are trying to find satisfaction through men, aren't you? Right? That's what the problem was. Verse 19 and following. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What she does is called banter. And I've come across this as a, as a pastor in times that I've tried to share my faith with somebody. And, and what, we, what people tend to do is try to shift the focus on a religious argument that nobody can win. Right? So in her mind, okay, you Jews say the only place to worship is Jerusalem. We say it's Mount Gerizim. Right? And, and notice what Jesus does. He, does it, he does answer her, but he doesn't dwell there. He points out the truth. Salvation is from the Jews. Salvation for the entire world, though. And then Jesus tells her, a time has now come when true worshipers will worship neither at Mount Gerizim nor in Jerusalem, but they will worship God the Father in spirit and in truth, for that, those are the type of worshipers God seeks. Jesus knew that in a few short years, 70 AD, that beautiful temple in Jerusalem, Herod's temple, would be completely destroyed. And it's remained destroyed to this very day. True worshipers, and we're doing it here today, we're worshiping the one true God in spirit and in truth. So he diverts it. He quickly answers it. She, she goes on, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Keep in mind, they still held on to the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, Moses talked about the prophet who would be like Moses. You are to listen to him. She had an understanding of Messiah, anointed one, uh, again, who would explain things. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You're speaking to the Messiah. I am your Savior. I am your Lord. I am the source of living water for you. Meanwhile, the disciples, where were they? They're, they're buying food. Verse 27, 
Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. Keep in mind, she came there for water. What did she leave? She leaves the water jar. She said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So, so she drops everything. She goes down to that town. Again, the Samaritans, there was friction. There was tension. But she's freely sharing Jesus with the townspeople. What about her past? What about the fact that people would know who she is? It didn't matter. She was forgiven. She, she looked at Jesus as, as being her Savior, and she very clearly witnessed to him. Then his disciples said to each other, Uh, Excuse me, back up. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? They're clueless this whole time. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And Jesus made it very clear that the harvest is, is ripe. He's talking spiritually for eternal life. Verse 39. Jump down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. You know, we don't know this woman's name She's simply known as the woman at Jacob's well, or the woman from Samaria, the woman from Sychar. Tradition has it, and this is through the Eastern Orthodox Church, that her name was Photina. It comes from the Greek word phos, which means light. That she was an, you know, gave light to people, if you will. But you know what? I like to think of her as a well, because that's what Jesus said to her. You're without living water. I'll give you living water. It comes from outside yourself. It comes from me. Believe in me, and it will well up in you a flowing water, and you will not be thirsty again. When she went to Samaria and she told people what Jesus did for her, she was spilling out Jesus, if you will, right? That's what she did. This leads us to our final point this morning. We are quenched because Jesus thirsted. We are quenched because Jesus thirsted. For the woman at the well, it was a physical thirst that Jesus had. But this statement applies to each and every one of us this morning. See, there's another place in Scripture where Jesus thirsted. It was on the cross. Jesus, suffering and dying, paying for our sins, abandoned, forsaken by God the Father... And towards the end of his crucifixion, and by the way, if you study crucifixion, one of the horrible things about crucifixion is not just thirst, but a person is so thirsty they're in agony. Jesus reached that point. And and Jesus' thirst wasn't just physical, it was also spiritual, for he was dried up from the presence of God the Father. He was forsaken by God. And Jesus reached a point towards the end where he said, I thirst. And we know that they handed up to him a a sponge filled with vinegar water. Jesus was able to to get enough moisture in his mouth. 
And then Jesus spoke these words, it is finished. Paid in full. All of our sins completely paid for. And then finally Jesus spoke his final words, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Then he bowed his head and died. And therein lies the gospel for us. Jesus thirsted more than anyone who has ever walked this planet. Physically, but also spiritually, he thirsted. Why? So that none of us would have to experience a thirst like that ever in our lifetime. Because he thirsted and paid for our sins, we are forgiven and our souls are quenched. May this gospel, this good news of Jesus who thirsted but we are quenched, may it fill your hearts as a Samaritan woman. May you spill out Jesus, if you will, every place you go, pointing to him as your Savior, your Lord, the one who has forever redeemed you, the one who is giving you everlasting life. For in Jesus, there is satisfaction like none other. Amen. May the true peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in him, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Amen. It's time now to gather an offering.